Hello, we are Restoration Church Chicago and welcome to our podcast. You can connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Our mission is to glorify Jesus everywhere, and that includes right here, right now. Thanks for tuning in. It's such an honor to be here. I can remember, uh, I don't remember the specifics of when it happened, but having a lunch with you and Vanessa here in Chicago, I was, I must have been visiting from South Africa, and if memory serves me correctly, it would have been November, this, this month, seven years ago, and little did they know that God had been speaking prophetically through some other people to me that wound up being the catalyst to us leaving South Africa, handing over the church to a wonderful couple and planting a church against all wisdom and natural <laughs> decision-making process, planting a church in Detroit. But I can remember Hugh and Vanessa talking to me over lunch uh, about their desire to plant. And I was just pacing the floor last night in this very room, praying over this time together and just thinking, dear Lord, look at, I mean, uh, the, you are the church. This is not the church, right? But, but the seed that was in their heart and the development of what is happening and the people that are gathered together, a people who previously perhaps weren't really a local church together are now knit together in family and God is working out his story as people on earth take faith, uh, faith leaps and steps of obedience in him. And uh, you are a part of that story. And it's a story that far uh, transcends our natural lives. It began a long time ago. We're going to get into that this morning. But you're a part of that story. And um, so I just want to honor Hugh and Vanessa for their obedience and for, for their love of Jesus and uh, for their love of the church. And I just feel in my heart that, I guess my heart's up here, not down here, but I feel in my heart, <laughs> my spirit, heart, I don't know. Uh, that, that I, I feel like I've just witnessed to a, um, almost like a stepping into more of who you are, you know, and just kind of secure in, in, in your identity as leaders and just love your lovers of people. And um, I really just appreciate you guys and honor you for that. And I'm so excited about what's happening here and what's going to happen. Um, we've already prayed. I would like to pray again, but I'm not going to. But uh, we, we, if you're doing what I'm doing, you, you, it's great to just pray, like, like Lord, help. <laughs> so, but we've already prayed. Um, I want to talk this morning uh, just about very much along the lines of what Minda just shared. And we didn't coordinate this strategically, but how to build God's house and your lives uh, actually fitting into the unfolding of his plan, and you and I, and even Restoration Church Chicago, we are all just links in a chain of what God is doing to give glory to his name in the earth. And it is not by might, it's not by power, it's not by our great uh, and intellectual ideas of how to build church or how to do ministry or in some of our cases, how to do a career. It is by people who are weak before the Lord 
and dependent upon him and willing to follow the Lamb of God wherever he goes so that he can do through us what only he can do. And so if we can just kind of posture our hearts to receive this morning um, along those lines, I want to talk a little bit about how we build the church because that is what, what God's building. But if I can just say, God has always been about building in the earth a house that would be his dwelling place uh, in the earth. Uh, it's an amazing thing if you look at the Old Testament how the theme and the idea of the temple of God, uh, and, and like we said before, you guys know that this is not the temple of God, right? Uh, this is a building. Consecrated to, for sacred use, yes, but this in and of itself is not the temple of God. But in the old covenant, there was a physical building called the temple of God. And inside of that physical building, there was an outer court and that where everyone could go. And then there was an inner court where only some could go. And then there was the holiest of holies where only the high priest could go once a year. And behind the curtain of the holiest of holies was the Ark of the Covenant and the two tablets that Moses had uh, given to him of the Ten Commandments. And, and in that place was the presence of God. Now, that, that temple has always been, in, in essence, the purpose of God. You see, uh, the, the story of the Old Testament, the, his, the history of the Old Testament, if you read the individual stories, you may, you may miss it, but the overarching kind of thread that, that ties the whole thing together is this thing of God dwelling on the earth through, amongst his people in the Old Testament through this temple. Are we tracking? The, uh, when you know that when God formed a people uh, and, and through Abraham, and they became his lineage, God's people of faith, and they went into uh, slavery in the land of Egypt. And most of us, even if we're not believers perhaps this morning, most of us are familiar with the Exodus story where Moses led the people out of Egypt and they crossed over the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness where they wandered for 40 years. And in that place, God gave specific instructions to build a, what they called the tent of meeting. God had a mobile home. <laughs> It was because they weren't actually positioned in the, in the wilderness. They were traveling. It couldn't be a permanent structure. So it was a tent. But it was patterned after what would ultimately become the temple. It had that same outer court, inner court, holiest of holies. And in the inner, inner sanctum where the, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God was. And so that was following with the people of God. Kind of signifying that this, this is the main Point of God's people gathered together. And then when they crossed over the, the uh, Jordan River and they go into the promised land, guess what goes first? It's the Ark of the Covenant carried across by the priests to, to make a declaration that as we inherit our promised land, it's the presence of God. It's this thing of God dwelling on the earth. That's, that is the issue. That's what goes first. Everything else follows that. And then when they go into the promised land, this, it, 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 kind of, uh, it kind of fades away. We don't really hear about it for a while. And then, and then all of a sudden in, in the book of Judges, we see the Ark of the Covenant left in a, in a town or a city called Shiloh. And the Philistines, an enemy nation, come and they eventually take the Ark of the Covenant. What a tragedy, right? The very thing that made the people of God 
kind of separate from the rest of the world, the presence of God amongst them, taken by an enemy nation. And, and this, this Ark of the Covenant goes to the Philistines, and they put it in their temple with their god, Dagon. And they go to bed one night, and they wake up the next morning, and, and, uh, and lo and behold, there's the Ark of the Covenant, and there's the statue of Dagon, except his head's been cut off and his hands are cut off. And they're like, okay, well, maybe we should move it somewhere else. I'm not sure if that's going to work. So they move it, and wherever it goes, it, it brings evil upon that place. And finally, they just take it back to the Israelites, like, you take it. We don't want it. And, uh, and the Israelites take it, and they bring it back. And, and then we see in, in the book of 1 Samuel, we see the, the, the kind of beginnings of the formation of a government of the people of God, whereas before it was just judges. And now, and most of us look at the 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, and we read through that, and we think of it as like the, the bringing about of a kingdom, and there's an ordination of a king. And when, in fact, if you look at the beginning of 1 Samuel, it's actually the story of the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. And the kings that are instituted and put in place, it's all in the context of a temple being built in the holy city of Jerusalem where the Ark of the Covenant ultimately would be kept. I want to I kind of fast forward. I don't want to go through all that because all of you are like, okay, I, I, you know, I went to school already. I wanted to hear some preaching. Not, not a whole bunch of information. I'm just giving us some, some context here. That, that temple... And that Ark of the Covenant that was kept in the, in, the, in the center of that temple was all a type and a shadow of something that would be fulfilled through Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus himself became the temple, the dwelling place of God on earth. If you'll look with me quickly to John chapter 1, verse 1, the very beginning of that gospel says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Logos, the Greek word, the intelligence, the knowledge of God, the philosophy, if you will, of God, was God. He was with God. He was God. We're speaking of Jesus. And if you drop down to the 14th verse, John continues this discussion about the Word, and he says, and the Word the Word, uh, where is it, became flesh and dwelt. Take note of that word dwelt. Dwelt amongst us. That word dwelt, skeneu, the Greek word, translated would mean to fix one's tabernacle, to abide in a tabernacle, to reside in. Are you catching the picture here? There was a tabernacle in the old covenant that was a type and a shadow of Jesus who became the tabernacle of God in which God dwelt finally and fully expressing himself visibly through human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And it goes on to say, and we, here's the point of all that, we beheld his glory because sin has cut off this spiritual union and communion with God to where we no longer could see and interact with God, how many of you from the point of your birth actually could feel the presence of God or see and know of God? How many of you? No hands are up. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm like you. I didn't become a Christian until I was 17, by the way. I didn't grow up in all this stuff. But I, I encountered Jesus at the age of 17. I received him and I saw him 
and, and saw something, not with my eyes, but in my heart, the glory, the, 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 the person of, of Jesus, who is a perfect and exact representation of God the Father himself. And this is what I want to say is that you and I, folks, now Jesus having ascended, you and I are called to be the fulfillment of what God's plan has been, a tabernacle in the earth, a dwelling place of God through the Spirit. If you look with me to Ephesians 2, I just want to jump there real quick. Ephesians 2, verse 19, and it kills me to not reference all the other scriptures that I could say here that would, that would absolutely convince all of us this morning of what I'm saying, but I tend to be too thorough. We're just going to look at one, Ephesians 2. Some of you Detroit folk know what I'm talking about. Ephesians 2, uh, verse 19, it says, Now therefore you, could I be a little dorky this morning and ask you to say that? You. you. Say me. me. That's who we're talking about right now. You. Me. Are no longer strangers and foreigners, but se- fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The Greek word there, oikios, meaning to belong to the same house, to be of the same family. So we're family language. Because of what Jesus did, we, are, we come into the family of God. We're a part of the family, meaning that not only are we family with God, sharing with Jesus the same Father, but you and I become brothers and sisters. And he plants us in local church. And we're not just an institution that meets in a physical building called Church Restoration Church Chicago. We, this is just a place to gather. And this thing that we're doing right here, let's break all the, in, not that there is anything inauthentic about what we do, but let's break all, all the church tradition and get back to what we are. We're a family. It's, this is not about a performance in a Sunday morning ritual and a fireball preacher who gets up. This is about building people into a unit together that would become a dwelling place of God through the Spirit in the city of Chicago to that they would behold his glory. We become part of the household of God, and it says, verse 20, having been built on the foundation. Now we go from family language to construction language. Now we're talking about a building, and in the old covenant, it was the temple, right? It was a building. And so Paul is using very intentionally this language to tie the the, the pieces together for us and to see that you and I are the temple. We're built on a foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, verse 21, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Are you seeing the purpose for church? This is more than building Hugh and Vanessa's church because even though they're bivocational, they're rah-rah, they're trying to do something for Jesus, let's gather together and try to be successful. Let's be the dwelling place of God in the earth, and you and I have a part to play in that, in whom the whole building fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together This isn't about me and my walk with Jesus. This is about us being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And can I say to us this morning, according to Matthew chapter 16, Jesus makes such a profound declaration. He says, on this rock, 
I will build my church. What is the church? The temple of God. The dwelling place of God through the Spirit. The body of Christ who was the temple of God. I will build my church, and it is the only thing in the entirety of the New Testament that this king of ours says he is building. And if that is the case, and my life belongs to him, it is the only thing that I am building with my life. But Paul, you're bivocational. You're a real estate agent. Aren't you building your career for his glory? And nothing else. (laughs) It all fits into the context of building a dwelling place that Detroit could see what I have seen. Amen? So I just want to share a couple points. We'll go as fast as we can in Jesus' name. As fast as we can to get through a couple points in the New Testament of how you and I can partner together in becoming what it is that we just expressed that we're called to be. Is that good? In the New Testament, there are several references to the expression one another. You know, love one another. This, do so and so, one another. And the idea is there's no way to fulfill these texts and to operate and function in these texts to help build the church without being together. So by even looking at these texts, my prayer is that we would have a fuller understanding not only of what we just talked about and what we're called to be, but now how do we do this? What are some of the things that we need to do in church community, local church community, where rubber meets the road? Anybody had any issues in local church before? Let me remind you this thing that we're talking about, this glorious temple of the presence of God is made up of humans. Anybody ever dealt with humans before? There's crud that goes down in the church. And so this will give us some anchors of how to live in church community. First of all is to love and prefer one another. If you'll look with me, Romans chapter 10. Uh, excuse me, Romans chapter 12, verse 10. It says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. I just want to ask you some questions here. Can this be entirely fulfilled on a Sunday? You know, like how am I going to, in all honesty, give preference to one another in the context of a Sunday morning meeting? Is it like, oh, no, you, you sit there. I'll, I'll, I'll sit here. Like, is that like the fulfillment of the purposes of God that we let somebody else sit in the pew that they want to sit in? You know, or no, you get the coffee first. I'll get my coffee second. I probably wouldn't even fulfill that verse. <laughs> get out of my way when it comes to coffee, by the way. <laughs> and no, it, my, my, my point here is that implied in this scripture is church community. It's life, doing life together, for lack, for fear of sounding cliche. How do we prefer one another at Sunday church? I would say preferring is in the context of dwelling together and sharing meals in our homes, of knowing each other, of being involved in one another's lives. In that context, where the cozy distance becomes less and less, and we actually see one another's warts, that is where the opportunity to love and prefer one another actually exists. That's where this thing really will be built. 
You know, there's some Border City Church people here who stayed in the same Airbnb this weekend and had to share a bathroom. I haven't heard all the stories yet, but perhaps there will be some when I return home of opportunities to love and prefer one another. Let's go to Romans chapter 15, verse 5. Receive one another. It says, now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another. Hear that, like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another. Take note of that, receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. When I, if I could just give you my background, and I don't mean to be, I mean, I'm just being real with you. I grew up in a very monocultural northern suburb of Atlanta, and everyone in my world was pretty much of the same socioeconomic status, usually the same kind of culture and even race, and that was my world. The end of that kind of time, I received Jesus. I won't go into the story. I'd love to tell you that story, but... I received Jesus, and then I go to college in South Georgia. <laughs> I've moved to South Africa, and I, let me tell you, there was more of a culture shock going from Atlanta to South Georgia than from South Georgia to South Africa. And I'm not kidding. I mean, whoa, the difference between kind of suburban life and then rural, deep south life. Hi. Anyways, in that place, there was uh, this campus ministry that I got involved in. And now there's people of all types of backgrounds that if my friends from high school would have seen me with them, I would have been so humiliated because, like, those are not the cool people. And yet these are the people of God. And I had to learn in the discomfort to find connection and community with people who were totally not like me, and it's beautiful. And the scripture tells us to receive one another. And there always is a needing to cross boundaries that the world would put around us and our natural inclinations would put around us that the kingdom of God blows apart, that we can receive one another. And so I just want to say, it says to receive one another just as Christ also received us. Can I ask us to ask ourselves a question real quick? Even in the... quiet of your own heart right now, how did Christ receive you? Receive one another as Christ also received us. So we're actually going to hear the scripture and honor it. We've got to take stock. How did he receive me? He received you, can I fill in the blanks, unworthy? In a sense, he received you unrepentant in so much that he died for you before you repented. Unworthy, unrepentant, unfairly. It wasn't even a just act. Receive one another in that way. Number three, let's look at Romans 16, verse 16. Be affectionate. The apostle says, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. I'm going to flip over to two other scriptures quickly and just read them. 1 Corinthians 16.20, all the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Praise the Lord, right? 2 Corinthians 13 verse 12, greet one another with a holy kiss. 
This is anti-COVID language, by the way. <laughs> That's not my point at all. Let me, just, let me just take a couple points out of this. First of all, all the churches, plural, all the churches send their greetings, Paul says. Churches send their greetings. The idea implied there, it says all the brothers and sisters in 1 Corinthians 16 send, send you their greetings. Paul's writing from one place. One city where there are multiple churches to another place where he's writing a letter saying all the churches over here send their greetings. The idea implicit in that is there are groups of people that are meeting together regularly and they're communicating as one unit because they share community with one another and they with one voice are sending their greeting. Implied in that is that we are not just the church but we express being part of the church as being a follower of Jesus by being in a church. Are you hearing that? Oh, well, we're all the church. Yes, we are. But the Bible, the New Testament is filled with the idea of being in a local church and working out this journey that Jesus calls us to and something bigger than ourselves. And every local church needs to be a part of something bigger than themselves. For, our, for us, it's NCMI, right? So that's, that's one idea, but it's just also to greet and express affection. And I'm sorry, Ryan, Hugh, I'm not going to greet you with a holy kiss. You're Mike. Sorry. <laughs> Mike, and you, I'm not going to greet you with a holy kiss. And that's cool because that's not the idea. The idea in that culture was expressing affection. That would be the way you do it. It doesn't really matter what the expression is. What Paul is saying is to be affectionate with one another. I know this seems so small, but it's actually when, you get, when you're in a church gathering to stop and notice a person and to say you are valuable to me by saying hello to them. Give them a fist bump. Give, wear your mask and say, look them in the eye and say, how was your week? Are you following it's important in, in developing healthy church culture is that we actually express something of social skills. I just want to encourage us, uh, know it's so simple, to greet one another. Make sure you don't just go to church and then leave. You're, you're there to connect. And I would also say make sure it's affection. And if you're not an affectionate person, that's totally cool. There's ways of showing value to a person, even if it's just time in expressing something. Fourthly, serve one another. Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another. If we want to see our, the dwelling place of God built in the Chicago through this church, it happens as we serve one another. And it won't happen if we don't. I mean, take stock of that. And freedom says, I don't need to be in a church to love Jesus. That's what freedom would say. Love would say, because it says, don't let your freedom, uh, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Freedom would say, I don't need to be in a church to love Jesus. Love would say, I'm in church to love Jesus by serving other people. But I thought I came to church to receive a message to encourage, yes, you did. But at some point, we need to kind of, don't be offended, take our diapers off and begin to be a contributor and not just a taker. That is the essence of what maturity is, right? These boys were born, and it was all give and no take at the beginning. 
But the essence of maturity is that more and more weight is put on you to be a contributor. And it's the same in spiritual development. I come to give. I come to, 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 to put some weight on my shoulder and come to build the temple of God, the dwelling place of the earth, by serving people. Fifthly, carry each other's lives. If you look with me, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. It says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Can I ask us to ask a question this morning? And, and uh, like, not a non-rhetorical question, like, oh, no, it's, I, I don't want to hear your answer, but ask yourself the question. Do I know the burdens of those in my local church? Last time I checked, I cannot carry someone else's burden if I don't even know what it is. Do I know the burdens of those in my local church? If, if the answer to that question is yes, and I'm certainly not suggesting you need to know every burden of every person, but we're just talking about how, if there are at least a handful of people that I know their lives. If the answer is yes, the next question would be, am I carrying them? Am I, am I, am I leaning in to help? Am I praying? If I don't know the other's burdens, can I ask us to ask this question, why not? Usually the answer to that question is because of my priorities. I go into my week thinking about my agenda and not the Lord's agenda of building the house of God. And if I'm living to build his house, I am going to become interested in the burdens of those who make up that house and carrying it with them. Colossians 3.13, bear with one another and forgive one another. Can I ask this another question? Am I holding anything against someone else in my local church? Isn't that lovely when we kind of sweep these little things under the carpet? Have you ever been offended by somebody and actually you should have a talk with them, but you just kind of pray it away and you find it never goes away? And I'm certainly not saying you have to confront everybody who ever offends you. Please don't. Forgive them. But forgive them. Number six, hold each other accountable. Uh, let me warn you now, this is going to be counterculture to American culture. But let's, let's explain it. Romans chapter 15, verse 14, and there's only one more after this, just, just to put you at ease. Romans 15, verse 14, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brothers, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. Admonish. Admonish one another. That's what we're called to do. Admonish one another. I didn't write this. This is the scripture. I just read it. Admonish one another. That would suggest we should be admonishing one another. What does admonish mean? It means to reprove gently, to remind, to, to, to put in mind. I, to, in order to, I'm not saying that we need to walk around correcting one another all the time. That can, that can be an unhealthy culture. But in real relationship, if I can even use the ex example of my oldest son down there, Peter, he admonishes me once in a while. He, and, and often with a, a degree of respect, as should be the case, but nevertheless, there are times where I maybe say something that I'm, I'm off. And my son, who is my son, is also a brother in the Lord. 
And he's able to, in love, admonish me. But why is he able to do that? Because we have a bridge of relationship, and I know his heart towards me. And I know, I know he wants the best for me, and I know he wants the best for the church that we are building together. And there are times where he's able to do that through a bridge of relationship. And so the question I have for us this morning is, do I have the bridge of relationship with enough people in my local church where I could admonish them, if needs be, and them me? Where there's that trust, where I can receive it because I know their heart for me, or they could receive it from me because they know my heart for them. If not, I want to suggest Christ's temple that he's building is fractured. It needs some tuck pointing in that mortar. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, tuck pointing. But anyways, been, been in real estate for too long. Do I have the bridge to admonish others? Another question would be, do I even care enough to, to admonish another person? So nice and Christian just to see somebody who probably could use a little help, but we don't want to offend them, and so we're just going to love. Well, actually, love doesn't always look like nice. Am I saying admonishing? Please be nice if you're going to admonish. Let's make that clear. Don't want to have a discussion with you and Vanessa later where they need to correct something I say. So, and then lastly, build each other. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11 says, Therefore comfort each other and edify. Edify is a word you and I don't use very often. It simply just means to build up, just like a, a, a temple or a building would be built up. Edify one another just as you also are doing. Comfort each other and edify one another. And, uh, you know, very quickly, and, and we don't need to go there, but just to say in Romans chapter 12, how do we edify we function in the gifts that God puts inside of us to build one another. So it's not just how we treat one another. The other exciting part is that God wants to use himself. He wants to use you to express himself with the ministry of Jesus. And in Romans chapter 12, we hear of grace gifts, things like leadership, serving, mercy. These are grace gifts. They're in you, uniquely in you, deposited in you with a unique calling. They never leave. They're with you wherever you, where you go. And then 1 Corinthians 12 talks about Holy Spirit gifts or Holy Spirit manifestations that the Holy Spirit is in you and he, and he moves upon you to anoint you in a moment to do things like prophesy or to, to, to word of knowledge, healing, and things like, things like that. In either case... We're called to edify one another. When we gather together, each one of us has a supply. And we should be gathering together in homes. Do you guys do community groups and home groups and stuff like that? In January, you're going to be starting that. Oh, how cool is that? What an impetus to, to, to gather together in homes. And when you gather, there is supply inside of you. There is nothing as thrilling as the Holy Spirit using you to build the, the, the church of Jesus. And be a part of that link of that chain that we talked about at the beginning. Where me and my frailty and imperfections can be used by a holy God to do something towards another member to build them, help them to be built into, alongside me, the image of Jesus. That Chicago would see a great light. I just want to ask us to respond this morning. And uh, I really don't want to just go through the motions, you know, like we went, we did worship and then we did some announcements and now we're, we're, uh, we have a message and then there's a response. Yeah, I mean, it's like almost, you can, 
predict the whole thing. I, I want to I ask that this morning that we would take stock of things that God, through his Holy Spirit, is speaking into our hearts and to actually respond. When, when this journey began of the New Testament, God visited in the, in the angel Gabriel a woman named Mary and spoke to her. And the Bible says that Mary responded and said, be it done to me according to your word. And that began the pattern of everything that would follow after in the New Testament is a person responding to divine call as crazy and sacrificial as it can be and saying yes and you become a household where the fulfillment of that word can be worked out. And I believe that this morning that there's a call for a yes in your heart. I was saying over a meal last night with my family, we were talking about some things, and I, we were talking about the 12 apostles. And history records, not the Bible, but history would record that 11 of those 12 would become martyrs for Jesus. And the 12th, John the apostle, supernaturally couldn't be killed, so they put him in exile in the Isle of Patmos. 12 out of 12, basically, were attempted to be killed, if not killed, for Jesus. And I was saying to the family is, think of that. These young men, all of whom were around their late teens, early 20s when they started following Jesus, they had no idea that when they said yes to Jesus, that the story, earthly story, would wind up with them dying for that man. But what happened in between the saying of yes and dying for him? They were impacted by seeing that same Jesus die for them, to bear the price for, for their sins and to express a love that has never, ever been demonstrated yet in all of human history and never will, the perfect love of God. They received love from Jesus, and it was that love that they received from Jesus that caused their heart to love him. And it's the call to love his church stems not from you being such a good Christian. It stems from having been loved by the king. But that love will work in you, a love for him, where you lay down your life for him who sends you to lay down your life for them. And that is the call this morning. If we can not just heed to the stream of culture that makes us want to fit church into our agenda of my career and my social status and my retirement and my plans for my kids and actually say, with those 12 who died for Jesus, where else would I go? I've got no other option. Jesus, you alone are the one with the words of eternal life. Thanks again for listening. We hope you were encouraged. Don't forget to connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram.